And as parents, we like to, for those of us that are parents, we want to be able to raise our children in ways that will equip them with the necessary skills and the necessary social interactions that would help them function well within society. It's what we want to do as parents. That as they get older, we, we see it. So when they're young, we, you know, we set boundaries for them. When, when they're young, we'll instill within them values. Uh, we, we instill within them manners on how to conduct themselves. Say please, say thank you. Um, be respectful to your elders and to your authorities and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and we hope, we hope that as they get older and we sort of release them out into the world, or in some cases, kick them out into the world, we want them to be able to function well within society, correct? It's what our parents did with us, and it's what we seek to sort of emulate within our children's lives. Now, yes, we'll, they'll always be our kids. Yes, we'll worry about them in some ways, but we pray that as they move out into the world, that they would have a life in which they can exercise those things. So everything we've instilled into them, everything we've poured into them, including their own personal experiences, would help shape them as a young man or as a young woman. I think I, I remember sharing a story with you. I remember when my son was younger, Nathaniel, and I said to him, when I would discipline him or correct him or tell him off, whatever it may be, and I used to say to him, why am I doing this, son? Why, why, why am I doing this? And it was a response which I sort of instilled with him was, because you want me to be a responsible young man. I said, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. For my dad, when I'm being beaten, I'm only doing this because I love you. That's right. That's, man, I, and I, I remember doing this, saying this to my dad, like 99% of the, because I come from the old school days when you used to get beaten quite a bit, not beaten, but disciplined with love. Uh, I reckon 99% of those I deserved, to tell you the truth. But this is what Jesus does with his disciples. This is what Jesus does in the three years he spends with them. He's investing into them. He's, he's teaching them. He's equipping them for when he, in turn, will be releasing them out into the world to represent himself. And so what we're going to look at today is what I've called or titled the sermon today, A Disciple's Journey. A disciple's journey, which is as we look at what Jesus does and how he prepares them, we in turn can glean some lessons, can glean some truths, and see some applicable realities that apply to us as Jesus' followers as well. So, if you want to bow your heads, let's open a word of prayer, and let's look at the scriptures together. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we have life, in him we have been made new. In him, we are secure. We thank you so much that we can now be called the sons and daughters of the Most High God because of the manner of love that has been bestowed upon us in Jesus Christ. I pray that this morning you would speak to us from your word today. I pray that you will minister to each of our hearts and that you, Lord, will teach us about our journey with you, about our connection with you, about our walking with you and how we might find not only life but contentment and satisfaction and power in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, what's interesting about this is when you look at the ministry of Jesus and after he calls his disciples, see, we've been looking at over the last three weeks the disciples. 
We looked at the disciple, uh, sorry, the call of the disciples, what I called the disciples' call, and we looked at Matthew's calling several weeks ago. Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Peter's call, and then we looked at the disciples' fall last week, hence the reason why we're looking at a disciple's journey today, because right from the get-go, after Jesus had rounded up his 12 disciples, he had been preparing them for his departure. He'd been explaining to them what's going to happen and what his purpose was, and then in turn explaining to them what their purpose was as well. For example, in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 to 45, when Jesus was challenged by the religious leaders and teachers of the law, they were asking for a sign. And Jesus said to them with one, that an adulterous and wicked generation are concerned with signs. That says in verse 39 of Matthew 12. But then he also says, secondly, that the only sign that would be would be the sign of Jonah. That as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so too will the Son of Man be in the, in, in the belly of the earth for three days and for three nights. That's in verse 40 of Matthew 12. His disciples would have been there. The disciples were there to hear such things. They didn't really grasp it then. Then in Matthew 16, 21, after Peter's great proclamation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then we have uh, in, verse, in verse 16, Jesus began to then explain to his disciples the following, that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, at the hands of the chief priests, priests and at the hands of the teachers of the law. I want you to notice something. Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer many things, but you notice the people that he's suffering by? They're all the religious. It's the hands of the elders, the hands of the chief priests, the hands of the teachers of the law. The religious were the very ones that were the most persecuting or the, most, or the greatest opponents to the person of Jesus and what he stood for. I always, I always remember one preacher I heard say, he said, he said that Jesus Christ is the most anti-religious person to ever exist because he wasn't about ritual. He wasn't about act. He was about relationship. He was about connection. You're going to hear that word a lot from me, not only today, but a lot of days. In John chapter 2, verses 20 through to 22, Jesus cleanses the, ta- cleanses the temple. He's overturning tables. He made a, a, a whip. He made a, a, a whip out of cords, and he started beating people. He started, over- just, can you imagine the anger on his face when he drives out the merchants? So I think this is one of the other gospels where he says, my father's house, as we call the house of prayer, but you in the New King James, you've made it a den of thieves. You've taken this. And, and then he's sitting there, the, the Pharisees challenge him, and then his, his response to them, he goes, look, you destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And then you, then you read how all the Pharisees are like, hang on, 46 years it's taken to build this temple. You're saying you're going to destroy it, and you're going to fix it up in three days? And then we find out that it's, he, when he says that, he's talking about his body, about his resurrected body. And you read in verse 22 that his disciples remembered this after he rose from the dead. So we know from the call of the disciples and that the disciples fall, that there are all these things, that there is the drawing closer to himself as a follower of Jesus. And yes, we will fail. And that's what the disciples' journey consists of. It consists of us following Jesus, failing, yes, making mistakes, yes, 
but still getting up and journeying with the Lord. That's why he says, as was shared today by our sister Mel, come unto me, all you who labor and have laden, I will give you rest. That's where we find that rest, even in our journey. So today I want to look at several things. Firstly, on that journey, what to expect. On that journey, what to expect. But then on the other side of it, so it's basically two points we're looking at today. Then on the other side of it, what to expect, and also then what we have been given in our journey as Jesus' disciples. So let's go on this journey together, okay? Here's the first thing. Here's the first thing. From the words of Jesus himself, this is what he told us to expect as we follow after him as his disciple, as we walk on this disciple's journey. Here's the first thing, hatred. Hatred. Matthew 10, 22a says this, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Jesus says later on, yeah, if they hate you, know this, that they hated me before they hated you. So that's one thing you ought to expect if you're going to be following Jesus, to expect hatred. Here's another thing. Expect persecution. In John 15, the second half of verse 20 says this, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. You, you can expect not only hatred, not only persecution, you will expect trouble. We shared this a few weeks ago. John 16, 33 says, in the world you will have trouble. And that trouble might take a whole bunch of different forms. That trouble might be, I don't know, the, the, the harassments you get at work because you claim to be a Christian or make the profession that you are a Christian. You may get trouble, I don't know, even in your community or when you seek to show the love of Jesus with the way the world is now, even when you try to be generous and try to open a door. I remember once, ages ago, I opened the door for a lady and a lady got upset with me because I opened the door. Was I saying that she was weak? Was I saying that she couldn't open a door herself? Was I saying anything like that? No, I was trying to be polite and I got yelled at for that. I went, okay, I'm bad. I'll let you open it next time. I'm sorry. There's all sorts of trouble and that's got nothing to do with me being a Christian. That's me just trying to be polite, which was viewed the wrong way. You can expect opposition. Matthew 13, 38 and 39 says, the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. So you have hatred, you have persecution, you have trouble, you have opposition, and then you have all the things that are connected, all the baggage that comes along with all of that as you walk with Jesus. And it might be the the exclusion or the isolation you feel because you're excluded from events or you're excluded from relationships or you're excluded, excluded from invitations that might take place because they know, oh, here, don't, don't get Joe along because he's that Christian guy. Oh, yeah, don't, 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 don't ask Joe because Joe, he'll, he'll just put a damper on things. You have all that there. You might get the harassment because you're not wanting to compromise the convictions that the Lord has placed in your heart in the workplace. There might be some shady dealings going on, and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't do that because that goes against everything that I stand for as a follower of Jesus. Come on, man, it's just one lie. Come on, man, it's just a little bit of, a little bit of skim off the top. Come on, man, it's just this, that, and the other. There's that baggage. That can, there's the pressure that can build up over the circumstances you face week in and week out. 
maybe even within the church, maybe even within this building, the pressure that builds up of expectations that you need to meet that have been forced on you, not by God, but maybe by me. Or maybe by expectations of leaders. Maybe by expectations or what you think are expectations from other people. Those are all things that we need to consider. The constant waves. And you know this. You've experienced this in your life. You had those moments in life where it's just wave after wave after wave after wave. And it just never seems to stop. There's just one trouble after the next, after the next. This person's sick. This person dies. This person loses their job. My children are suffering. My children are being bullied. This, that, and there's this wave after wave. And you're thinking, whoa, Lord, what's going on? I don't understand. This is the expectation that if you follow Jesus, you're not of this world anymore. You no longer belong to the prince of the power of the air. You no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness is not happy about that. So yeah, he'll play a part in that. He'll play a part in in trying to drag you down, of trying to discourage you, of trying to take your eyes off Jesus, who is the light, who is the way, who is the truth. And he'll continually try to do that. And while you might have a, a, a brief respite for a season, it never stops. The difficulties, the hardships, the struggles, they will always be there. What did Jesus say? In the world, you will have trouble. You will have opposition. You will have hardship. You will have struggle. But this is the blessing. You know what else we can expect? That even in those positions, we can also know peace. John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Here's the best part. He says, my peace I give to you. In that trouble, we can know peace. Remember John 16, 33, when he says in the world of trouble, he goes, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. I want you to make note of something there. Where is that peace? It's not a place. It's knowing a person. It's connecting to him is where peace is found. In each of the struggles, we can know his presence. Matthew 18, 20, what does Jesus say? This wonderful promise. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. That's not just regarding prayer. That's just regarding us connecting with each other. That's me sharing with you, you sharing with me, me spending time together. When we have our coffees this afternoon, because actually this morning, because I'll finish before 12. But it's when us speaking and having a coffee there, where two or three are gathered in his name. We are gathered in his name when we share a coffee. When I meet up with with Kenny and we burger off together, okay? Well, sorry, burger off, we're comparing burgers. So we meet up every so often, and he'll bring a burger from his area. I'll bring a burger from my area. We'll swap, and then we'll talk, and we'll invest, and we'll eat. And it's, you know, so, but well, you know when we burger off, you know that he is there amongst us? as we glorify God and our fellowship together and invest into each other's lives and and make each other fat, 
That's what we get to do. He is there amongst us. Matthew 28, 20, when Jesus says this, when he makes the great commission of, of what our role is, our purposes as his church, he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So not only when two or three are gathered in his name, he is there among us, he is with us always to the very end of the age. So not only, not only in those positions can we know his peace, not only in our struggles can we know his presence, even in our troubles we can know his promises. What's a promise? A promise is something that is given that encourages your heart for something to come, for the future that you know nothing about, but he does. I mean, what does is, what is John 14, 1 to 3 say? I've sort of summed it up. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I have told you, he says in verse 2, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, and if I go to prepare a place for you, he says this, I will come back and take you to be with me, that where I am, you may be also. That's a promise. That where he is, we can be too. John 16, 13, we are told this wonderful truth, wonderful truth, that when he, the spirit of truth, comes, what will he do? He will guide us into all truth. Who is truth? Jesus Christ. So not only do we know peace, who is Jesus, not only do we know his presence, that is Jesus, we can know his promises, the very word of God, who is Jesus. And in life, we can always know his power. The power to heal the sick, like in Luke 5, 17. The, the, people, that, the people that sought to just touch him. People sought to just touch him. And, and his power flowed from him. Luke 6, 19. It says this. People all tried to touch him because power flowed from him, healing them all. His power from his very being. And in him there is authority to overcome all the power of the enemy as he sends out his disciples in Luke 10, 19. I mean, if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when it talks about the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will receive power to do what? To be his witnesses. You're empowered by the Spirit to be his witnesses. Now, I brief over these eight things, the things to expect, all right? Whether it be trouble and opposition, persecution, struggle, we've got, we got, we got all of those things. But then we also know his, his peace and his power and his presence and his promises. The reason why I sort of briefed over those eight things in the disciples' journey is for us, if we profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have tasted of his grace and received God's forgiveness through faith in Christ, then the peace, the presence, the promises, and the power are not things or they're not rewards that we accumulate and, and, and just have because we've worked hard to attain them. It's not like you're trying to level up to the next level in a game and you're building up experience points and you have these achievements that you gain because you've worked hard and fulfilled and jumped through all the hoops that actually give you this level of spirituality. Okay? I don't want us to, to mistake that because the power and the presence and the promises of God, uh, they're just like eternal life. 
They are not possessions to be held. They are not, they are not possessions that you look for, grab, take hold of, and hold to yourself. None of those things are. You know what they are? They're the person of Jesus Christ. That's what they are. They are knowing him as a person. It's knowing him as a person that you receive peace. It's in knowing him as a person that you experience his presence. It's in knowing him as a person that you understand his promises. It's in knowing him as a person that you realize that he is power. The reason I harp on about this word connection is because those things are not something that it's, it's not something we plug into and now I've got it. I've heard that illustration before. It's something we plug into and then we get the ability to do all this stuff. No, it's someone that we know and that we experience. And that as he invests himself into us, we benefit. We're transformed. We're changed. Our hearts are made new. We're renewed. We're regenerated as we know him as a person. These things are a person to know and who by faith can be known personally, intimately. And what I love most is that willingly he invites us to this. He invites us to know him. He wants us to walk with him. I mean, the first thing, the first bit of Christian sort of literature that I read was the whole footprints poster. Remember the footprints poster? And I was blown away by the footprints poster. Why? Because that poster, for those, everyone who doesn't know, have a look at it. But when you read the footprints poster, the thing I like about it the most is that you have Jesus' direct involvement with his children in life. That's what that footprints poster is about. It's about him connecting to us and us relying on him or being connected with him. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told, I mention him, we are told that he is the power of God. To those whom God has called, we are told, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is knowing Jesus. Is working with Jesus, is walking with Jesus. Power is knowing him, walking with Jesus, working with Jesus. The Lord Jesus, who according to John, the gospel, the apostle John, is the word of God, and the word was with God, and the word was God, we're told in John 1, 1. And who became flesh, dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace, and truth, John chapter 1, verse 14, he is the word of God. Now here's the thing about promises. Promises are only as good as the integrity, the ability, and the capacity of the promise maker. Case in point, this, part, this past week I've been crook. Okay, so, and, and I thank you for those that prayed for me. This past week I've been crook. But I remember, I, I, for a sister in the church, I said, I want to come out and do something, and, and all I didn't sort of, I, and I didn't follow through on that. I didn't, follow, I didn't follow through on that. And in not following through on that, not only did I, I you know, I, I, not only did I let down this person, but what it was, he was like, okay, well, it's not that I'm not un unreliable or anything that's ir irrelevant. But we, there are certain people that you aren't asked to do something because you know they're not going to do it, right? Regardless of what they say. If they say, I promise, and you're just like, yeah. 
And then when they do it, you're like, oh, wow. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ, he is not only the promise keeper, he is the promise maker. If anybody would follow through on a promise, it's him. If anyone has the power to fulfill that promise, it's him. If anyone's got the, 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 the capacity to make a promise and keep it to his children, it's him. And so this is with his presence and with his peace. It, peace comes in all situations because it comes from being in his presence. It comes from being with Jesus, but also being with Jesus on Jesus' terms. If you remember several weeks ago when we talked about following, you had Peter and all his fish, and he had to follow Jesus. And in following Jesus, what naturally took place? He naturally left what was behind here in the fish, and he followed. When you follow someone, you're automatically walking away from something else. And the thing is this, because you see what you're walking after, what you're following after, you see that as worth it. You look at the value and the preciousness and what you have and what's before you that you completely forget. It pales in comparison. That's why when you follow, it's like, wow. And I think that's why we need a clearer vision. We need to ask God to give us a clearer vision by his spirit to see who he is and what he has and what he has given us. See, we want to follow on his terms, not our own like Peter. But being with Jesus for him, that means being with Jesus for him and for him alone. And it's what Jesus prayed for us to have in John 17. And our connection to him, our connection in him, also leads to us being connected with each other. For example, if you, now, now we're going to get to John. I'm not going to take too long in John 17. We're only looking at three verses, but I, I want us to focus on a few things. Firstly, in Jesus' prayer for us in John 17, it's, it's his petition to the Father for our, what I call, oneness. Our oneness. We read this. He says, I, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That not only for the disciples then, but for us who over 2,000 years later would come to know God through Jesus Christ. That we all would share a oneness. A oneness with God and a oneness with each other, a oneness of purpose, a oneness of heart, a oneness of goal. And it's not just like this superficial type, yeah, yeah, I get it, but a oneness that, that captures our souls and draws us closer to himself. That the actual love of the Father that, that just consumes us, a love of the Father that consumes us, that we see what he sees, that we hear what he hears, that we, we desire what he desires, that we hate what he hates, that we value what he values. That's, that's what he's praying for us, that we could be like this as a church. And the picture Jesus gives to express what this oneness is, is the relationship that he shares with his heavenly Father. It's reflected in these words in verse 21. He says that, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, we, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You look at the intimacy that's shared between God the Son and God the Father. And Jesus prays and says, I want them to have what we have. I want them to understand what we share. This, this oneness of heart, 
this oneness of desire, this oneness of love, this oneness of holiness, that what I share with you, Father, that my people, my followers, my children would have too. That what we would, and you know this, you know, okay, for those who've been married for a long time, so my wife and I, we, we're approaching 29 years this year. But even when you've been married for like, even like five years or 10 years, or even you just have a good friend, have you ever noticed how you just automatically think the same things? How you'll be watching something. Now, I know this is terrible. This, this is terrible. Um, like, have you ever seen, oh, no, I won't say it. I won't say it. But you know when people trip up? It's just funny. It's funny. And when you're sitting down and you see something and you know it's going to happen, you see someone trip up. And usually when they trip up, I know it's terrible, but I can't help but laugh. And what's, what's even worse is that whether it's my children or whether it's my wife, we all laugh together. And it's just this oneness. Or there's this oneness of just knowing how people think. And that's accumulated over time. But this is the type of thing, I'm not saying that Jesus laughs at you when you fall over or anything like that. What I am saying is that, that how the Father and the Son share this intimacy, he desires us to have that intimacy, intimacy too. That when I see a person who is struggling in their walk, that instead of condemning them and sitting there saying, why aren't you trying harder? Why aren't you more committed? Why, why don't you do more? Why don't you involve yourself to more? more? Instead, of, instead of seeing that, what I see physically, perhaps then I, what, what God sees is, there's hurt going on in their lives and they need support. There's doubt that has crept in within their hearts and they need encouragement. There's difficulty going on in their home. My, my wife would always share this with me. When somebody would do something, she said, there's always something more to it. There's always something more. Let's pray over it. And to see what he sees, instead of jumping to my own worldly conclusions, rather having the, the understanding in the heart of Christ who, who, who sees everything about me and knows all my weaknesses, all my failures, and yet shows grace and shows compassion and shows love upon me continually, then maybe then I should start seeing, instead of seeing what I see, see what he sees. And see, I want to come alongside you, brother, and can I pray for you? Can I, can I share with you? Can I sit alongside you? Can I walk with you? Maybe that's the tact that should be taken instead. To see what he sees. But the only way, the only way I can even have a glimpse of the sensitivity of, of like a, a millionth of what Jesus sees means this, that I need to put myself aside and connect to him. Because the only way I'm going to see what he sees is if I spend time with him so I can see what he sees. So I can hear what he hears. So I can value what he values because that's what he prayed for me. Which brings me to the second point of this. Not only this petition for oneness, but there's this desire for connection. There it is again. I think it's the third time I've said it. Connection. As Jesus is connected to the Father, as the Father is connected to the Son, as we then are connected to him, then it's the heart of God manifest through us who we are as his people. The heart of God manifests through us, through who we are as his people, not what we do as a church. When I say church, I mean the four walls of this building. Who we are as his people, not the activity we do as a church. I shared this a couple of weeks ago. People don't see what's going on in here today. 
People don't see the joy of the Lord as we spend time laughing and eating and fellowshipping and singing and investing into each other's lives. People don't see that out there. They see four walls. It's who we are as a people. You know what, you know what who we are is, is? We are the church. We are the church. That is who we are. It's not an activity we do on a Sunday. It's who we are every day of the week. We are his church. This is where the Spirit of God dwells. It's not the Old Testament anymore. He doesn't stay within a temple behind the, in the Holy of Holies behind the veil. He doesn't stay there anymore. He stays in here. That's where he abides. That's how the world is reached. In the temple, it wasn't about bringing, people want to experience God, they would go to the tabernacle. People want to experience God, they would go to the temple. We live in an age now, a dispensation now, where we experience God no matter where we are, no matter who we're with, no matter what we're doing, we get to experience God now. The world doesn't see that. The only time they see that is when you leave here and go to your neighborhoods, when your neighbors see it. When you go to your workplaces and your work colleagues see it. When you're walking down the street and the people driving by see it. Oh, it happened the other day. I was driving. I accidentally, oh, it just, and here's what's crazy. I was driving and I accidentally, I, I wasn't keeping an eye on traffic. I was just in the car park at Ralph Hill and I drove past and I went over a, a crossing and I didn't know that a, a dad and his daughter were crossing on the crossing. And I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw the guy swearing at me in, in the window. And, and you know what my first reaction was? My first reaction was, who do you think you are? And I'm, I'm starting to get angry. And then I thought about it for two or three seconds. And then I, I, I turned around to go find him. Not for a fight. <laughs> people, people were just like, oh. No, so I could apologize. I wanted to apologize to him. And just say, I'm so sorry, because the conviction of, of God and, and what I was doing. And it's amazing how quickly it changes just like that. But see, the connection, why would I feel that Joe would say, stuff you. Joe would say, get lost. Joe would say, don't be an idiot to that guy. The Spirit of God says, show love, because I love that man, and I love his daughter. Show love and apologize. Show what, this is what I would do. I would reach out to them and show the reality of who I am through what you do. And it was just like that, that the Spirit of God burdened my heart. But that's what it is. It's about connection, and it's expressed. That, that connection, that, that oneness is expressed in the very person of Jesus. If you read in verse 22 and 23a, it says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So they may be brought to complete unity. The glory, uh, John Gill, a commentator, says this, the glory that he's talking about there is not his, his, his goodness and his, and his nature and his being because that's his and his alone. That doesn't give, that's not given to anybody else. The glory that's talking about there is the gospel. He's talking about the gospel. The gospel I have given them that brings them into connection with you. So that what happens when you, when you know the gospel? What happens when you understand the gospel? What happens when you receive the gospel that, that God sent his son to be born of a virgin that lived a sinless life, that died a brutal death, that raised again the third day and resurrected to heaven? When you see those good news, when you hear that gospel, what happens when you by faith believe in what Jesus has done for you? What happens? You're made one with the Father by your connection to Jesus Christ. 
You're made one with him. And because now we are one with him, what happens? I'm now one with Danny. He's my brother because he has received the gospel. I'm one with Auntie Kathleen. I'm one with Pam. And that, because that's what the gospel does. But it's more than just being united in name. It's united in life. It's united in heart. It's united in connection. That's like the fifth time I've said it. It's united. That's what he's talking about here. It's that gospel, what Jesus does on the cross, that makes us one with him. Because here's what happens. Where, where the Spirit of God is, we are told, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of God is, there is connection. Where the Spirit of God is, there is renewal. There is unity. There is oneness. In other words, in the gospel, there is connection with the Lord. His connection to me and in that connection, my connection to one another. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, we have connection, one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's all the disciples' journey, which finishes at the end of, of verse 23. It says this, when there's this connection, when there's this walking with Jesus, when there's walking alongside him, when there's this cherishing of relationship with the King of Kings and with the Lord of Lords, what do we read in verse 23? Then the world will know. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the reality of God's love demonstrated to those outside of the church by the effect that's made inside of the church. That our connection with Jesus has become such a reality that when we go out there, people see that reality. People see that connection. People recognize the difference. The <clears throat> Not, like I said, not as the building, but as his people. Jesus said what in, in, in Matthew 15:9, My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. That's, that's us, to love you as Jesus does. Wait. If you analyze that, if you take that home tonight and you analyze that, love others as he has loved you, what does that mean? That means acceptance. That means understanding. That means forgiveness. You know what else that means? That means accountability. That means calling somebody out. That means, that, 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 doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean you get to play the role of the Holy Spirit. I know the Holy Spirit does that. But there was something that happened at a prayer meeting on Wednesday, which was really nice. And it was me learning. I, <laughs> this is all part of the thing that God's been teaching me. And, and I was sharing with Tommy the other day, trying to articulate this. But at prayer meeting, we, we, we prayed for Belgium. Thank you very much, Kenny. He, he taught us about Belgium. And we learned about waffles and, and Jean-Claude Van Damme. And uh, Audrey Hepburn. It was, it was really good. Uh, and we, and we, prayed, we prayed, for, prayed for that. And then, and then what we did was, I said, I said, okay, let's make a prayer list. So we broke off. We had prayer lists. Um, next prayer meeting is at, at John's house for a dinner. Um, <laughs> We'll invite everybody along. Okay, so, but, uh, but what we did was, I said, okay, we're going to have 10 minutes of just silence. 10 minutes of silent prayer. That's it. 
And, and so we just, we, we sat there and prayed because I, I went, I, God convicted me of something because I said, okay, we did Belgium. I said, okay, we'll pray for Belgium. And I just said, okay, you, 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 and you, you're going to pray for Belgium. You do one of the points each. And as we were praying, I was convicted. And the Lord just said to me, what if the guy didn't want to pray? What if they feel uncomfortable praying out loud or anything like that? And I, and I, I apologized afterwards. I just said, oh, the Lord convicted me about something. And I'm sorry for forcing it on you if you didn't want to. I really apologize for that. And, and so I apologized, and everybody just, they, they didn't care. Um, but it was something that the Lord burdened my heart for. And then, and then I said, well, let's have 10 minutes of silent prayer. And then Tommy shared this with me. I goes, I, I, goes, I enjoyed the silent prayer. Because sometimes, you know, when you're just in the presence of somebody, you don't need to talk. And he says, and just in that silent prayer, I've, I've wanted to hear from the Lord. And he, he likened that to a married couple, an old married couple. I think he was referring to my, my wife and I. Um, but um, just being in the presence of someone else and enjoying the presence. Oh, and, and that was, and that was a, real, a really, a really a blessed time. But that's what it means. To love others as I have loved you means, and I want you to take this home for each of you, whether it be with your children, whether it be with your wife, whether it be with your husband, whether it be with your neighbors, to love them as Jesus would. What does that look like? How has Jesus expressed his love to you? And then ask him to help you emulate that the greatest expression of, of that love to those who are different than us, the greatest demonstration of acceptance even in our failures, the greatest act of blessedness and generosity toward each other even when we get things wrong, or even if we don't receive anything in return, the greatest exercise of forgiveness because we recognize what we have been forgiven. But, but we can only live this way. We can only live this out in the midst of hatred, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of opposition. It's not by trying harder. It's not by trying harder. It's not by forcing my structures of my standards on others. It's by following Jesus. It's, not, it's, it's by listening to him regardless of what other people say. It's about forsaking my ideas and clinging to his wisdom. It's about me being with Jesus because I know he wants to be with me. That's what it's about. That's, that's why I've been urging and, and, and looking, and it's amazing, I was sharing with even Cass this morning, we're just talking, saying how what God desires to do is, is speak to each one of us intimately, personally through his word, and allow us to come to him with all our problems and allow him to deal with our sinful selves. That's the grace that is found in Christ. That's the blessedness of knowing him. And that's what he invites us to. So with that, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. And, and in that moment, we'll just have a bit of silent prayer first, and, and I'll close in a few minutes. But just to ask him, ask Jesus what he wants to do in each of your hearts. Ask him to reveal the things that you've allowed to get in the way. Ask him to show you what things you've prioritized over him. And then allow him to not only reveal them to you, but give you the courage to deal with it for him and not for anyone else. Let's pray.
purpose of this moment. Thank you, Lord, that you incline your ear to each of us, regardless of the failures and the mistakes that we've made. Thank you for your gracious hand that outstretches to us. Thank you for the deliverance that is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power to overcome is discovered in you, that the promises of your word, that the, your presence, that your peace is discovered because we know you and are connected with you. I pray, Father, for, for each of us here that you will help us, help us to, to let go of the things that consume us that are not of you, Help us to have our eyes focus on you and on you alone, to cling to you and, and the beauty of your person, to experience the full goodness and, and, and grace that you've offered us in your son and, and that we as your people would be just revived, quickened, our relationships and our hearts just filled with your goodness and grace and and we cannot help but be captivated, captivated by, by the sheer magnitude of your greatness. I pray, Father, you will help us to walk in your love, to walk in your peace, to walk in you. That as you pray that, that we would be one, as you are one with the Father, that we would demonstrate such oneness to everybody around us, that we truly would be a light that shines out to a dark, dark world. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your people. I pray that you will have your will done within this place as it is in heaven for your glory and in your name. Amen.